Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And Jacob, today we're talking about one of your favorite things to talk about, which is Formula One. That's right, Joey. And that's because for the first time this year since the early 80s, they are bringing the sport to Las Vegas in an effort to grow the brand in America. And if you haven't been living under a rock in southern Nevada, that you probably have seen the effects of the race or the preparation for the race uh, happening around the city. That's right. Obviously, the big one has been traffic, right? As not even just paving the roads has created traffic jams for not just weeks, but months. But we've seen a number of grandstands, barriers, fences, and lights totally reshape the face of the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. And so today we're going to be talking about, you know, what it's going to be like for the city. And Jacob, while you are a big fan, uh, you've also been looking at it from kind of that critical eye talking to people who are both pro and against the race coming to Vegas. So we're going to talk about all that today in uh, this episode of Indie Matters. All right, Jacob. So to start out, I think we need to explain what F1 is to listeners because it doesn't really have a huge fan base here in America. You might be the only person I know in America that actually likes F1. (laughs) Well, Joey, if I were to give you the simplest explanation, Formula One is the fastest open wheel racing in the world. What is open wheel racing? Okay, when you look at a race car, right, there's like two kinds of race car. There's like NASCAR, which looks like a car, even though it's a fast car, it looks like a sedan. And there's lots of race cars like that. That's closed wheel. Open wheel is literally just the wheels hanging out there. You see the wheel, you see the suspension, and it's hooked up to like a rocket ship with a bunch of uh, spoilers on it. That's open wheel racing. These are not like cars that look like regular cars. We're talking about engines that have a thousand horsepower in them that are going around corners at 65 miles an hour, that are going down straights over 200, sometimes 210 miles an hour. So that's when I say when I mean fast. (laughs) The other thing to note, too, is that like F1 is truly globetrotting. You're going from Australia to Bahrain, Japan, Monaco, Italy, Canada, Brazil, the United States three times. Like there are races everywhere. So Mm -hmm. I think that that is really one thing to home in on is that this is this is a sport that goes all over the world. And it coming to Vegas is an effort that F1 has been making the last few years, right, to expand into the American market to grow their their U.S. audience, right? That's right, because the sport is owned by an American company, Liberty Media, that purchased it maybe five or six years ago. And they have very deliberately tried to expand that American audience. They see it explicitly as an untapped market. And I have to say, I think there are more American F1 fans now than when I started watching the sport in 2016. And that is almost certainly due to the specific business moves that have been made in the last half decade. So what are some of those business moves? A lot of them are media focused. So the big one I think people might be familiar with is there is a Netflix documentary series called Drive to Survive, where basically they put cameras inside all the pit garages and they're following the drivers around. And then they like take a little dial labeled drama and crank it to 11. (laughs) Um, It's great entertainment. These guys have an almost fighter pilot mentality, and that's what separates them from mere mortals. So I think that was huge, I think, for an American audience to just understand what the heck this is. Beyond that, they made some savvy, I think, business moves. Those TV rights were super cheap when they lapsed from NBC's contract and ESPN bought them for peanuts. And if you have ESPN, you can just watch Formula One. Beyond that, Liberty created its own streaming service called F1 TV. That is super cheap, I think, relative to a lot of other sports streaming services. 
So when I think of F1 cars, uh, I, I do think of these kind of these race cars, these futuristic looking ultra slick cars with huge tires. This is happening in Las Vegas along the strip, but it's not just a straight line. They're going to turn off the strip at certain points. It's going to shut down a major part of, of, of Vegas. This isn't like NASCAR where they're just going in a loop, right? And so observing it, you only see them for a brief second as they fly by you, right? That's right. NASCAR and some IndyCar races race on ovals. In Formula One, you have left and right turns. And in Vegas, yes, you are correct. They will be going down a big straight on the strip, but there are many left and right turns that take them all the way around the sphere and a bunch of condos on Coval Lane. So it'll be a crazy spectacle, frankly. I think there is really nothing to compare what the race in Vegas will look like to any other F1 race. So while there may not be another comparison, uh, this isn't the first time that F1 has actually been in Las Vegas, right? That's right. In the 1980s, uh, there were two years where Formula One was in Las Vegas. Good evening. A special edition of the program to bring you the last Grand Prix of the season live from Las Vegas. Now, this is the race that will decide the 1981 World Drivers' Championship, and it's the closest title race for years. Uh, it looked very different. It was in just the Caesars Palace parking lot. It was a minor disaster. It was so hot and dry that like a bunch of drivers like passed out immediately after. No one made much money and it was gone immediately. But it was there. So this is technically not the first Las Vegas Formula One Grand Prix. Yeah. And so this is the latest one. And with that, uh, we interviewed actually former Governor Steve Sislak, who was at the original one in the 80s, he told you. He was a proponent of bringing it here and was actually involved in the discussions to bring F1 back to Vegas, including both when he was chair of the Clark County Commission and when he was governor shortly thereafter. Uh, and so let's jump into that and also talk about how it ended up coming to Nevada. Why was it the original F1 race that they had at Caesars Palace in the parking lot? That was many, many years ago. Uh, when I was on the county commission, I was sure the county commission group approached me with the idea of bringing an F1 race here. Uh, they met with county staff. It started to get a little traction, then the traction died. It kind of went away. And then Liberty came back with the idea several years later and worked and said, what did they do? I sent them to the LVCBA and to the uh, hotel properties to talk to them about the logistics of how this whole thing would work. They met with county staff. They started developing routes, and that was the beginning. So just to contextualize how it actually ended up in Las Vegas, much of it was about things being in the right place at the right time. The logistics were in place with a local government that was willing to play ball by putting it on the strip. And casinos and tourism authorities at the Las Vegas Conventions and Visitors Authority, the LVCVA, they were also, again, willing to play ball. Secondly, the sport was on board, which has invested millions and millions of dollars in not just purchasing land, near the strip over on Colville Lane, but building a permanent pit complex that's going to be there, theoretically, forever. And the logistics of this have been a major part of bringing the race to Las Vegas. There has been a massive increase in traffic because the strip is partially shut down in order for race preparations to take place. They've repaved parts of the strip with special pavement designed for F1 cars driving on a track in the desert at night in November. <laughs> it's very specific. The, the partial closure of one of the main thoroughfares in Las Vegas has caused a, a lot of ripple effects throughout the valley, creating more congestion and traffic on many of Las Vegas's highways and boulevards. Some of the Clark County commissioners were very upset about all of this. Uh, here's a quote from Clark County Commissioner Marilyn Kirkpatrick during one of those commission meetings complaining about some of these problems. Honestly, um, the county has done so much to protect 
that corridor because it's super important to what we do. But here's what I would tell you. There ain't none of my constituents sitting in the stands, I promise you, because they can't afford to even get close to the Formula One, which is a whole nother frustration. I'm not supporting going forward um, until I know, and there should be, we should have a standard as a commission that we're part of all these discussions because we're not. The truth is we're not. We should add, though, that as the race has gotten closer, the relationship between government entities and the race organizers has gotten a little better. A month ago, Kirkpatrick told the Nevada Independent that the local government agencies and race organizers have, quote unquote, made huge strides. I chatted with reporter Janelle Calderon, who lives in Las Vegas and was also interviewing people along the strip about their reactions to F1 coming to Nevada. Locals are pretty done with traffic. It has been a nightmare leading up to all the changes and fixings that they have to do at the strip right now. So it's been happening for a couple months now, reduced lanes, people having to cross over from one side of the road to the other. You see these grandstands where there's sitting for F1 fans. And we've just seen it. I mean, you know, it started from trees being cut at the Bellagio Fountains to now this huge structure. I actually heard a woman say to her friend like oh I was expecting to see the fountains and there's no fountains show right now because of the grandstands being there but on the other side of the coin there are economists who are projecting major benefits to the economy by bringing the race to Las Vegas I understand the frustration you know I've dealt with it on the strip when I've been in and out of town I get it but I also look at the economic benefits that that corridor brings to us and this would be a much different city in a much different state if we didn't have those economic drivers That was Brendan Bussman, a partner and lobbyist with Global Market Advisors, a gaming and entertainment consulting firm based in Las Vegas. From a revenue perspective, I think think listening to what we've heard already on earnings calls and what we have coming up prior to the race, I think most operators are in a great position going, hey, this is where we thought we'd be. We know we're going to be in good position off of this. This is one of those events that Vegas hasn't seen really in some time or or ever, because yes, we have major events like CES and all of that, but you've got F1 that's going to be roughly about a billion dollar event for the, for the city. And then you're going to dovetail that with the Super Bowl three months later. So I think everybody's expectations are running high. And one thing we talked with Brendan about was the type of clientele this event is going to bring to Nevada. It's tapping into an international market, which is something that Nevada and specifically Las Vegas has tried hard to tap into. Las Vegas is a destination for many people traveling, but much of the tourism that comes to the city comes from within the United States. And there is a large international market that Vegas could be taking advantage of and has been trying to grow back up ever since COVID crushed international travel three years ago. Those tourists are attractive to the state because they won't just be driving in for the weekend, but will most likely make their trip, you know, a a whole thing, a a whole big visit. (laughs) I'll take a very American approach to this when I say this. We know the Super Bowl. We know the Final Four. We know a college football playoff. We don't always necessarily understand the international market, international events. We've got to appeal to that international customer to get those international customers in. You want to bring in that different customer that, one, maybe hasn't been to Vegas or hasn't been in a while or only comes on occasion to say, let me give you another reason to come back. Yes, CES is an international trade show. You have 100 plus thousand friends coming in once a year off of that. 
but that isn't bringing in a sports fan that was going to fly in on their private jet to be able to do it. And it's a different type of economics that is about dining, is about entertainment, is about all those things, and isn't just about, as we see, like with the CES, hey, I'm here to do business and commerce because Vegas means business, just must mean Vegas means sports now. So let's talk a little bit about the tradition of the sport. It's traditionally a European sport, right? This is a very popular sport uh, when you when you hop across the pond. So it's come to America now. It, it's in Vegas. Uh, where else is it in the U.S.? They also race in Austin, Texas, and then they race uh, in Miami. Formula One racing comes from Europe. And I think there's a, a long sort of racing heritage in Britain, in France. And so all of that, I think, plays into the European origins of the sport. Back in the day, it was more difficult to make this a globetrotting affair. Things start to change in the 70s and the 80s and in the 90s, except the promoters, the people who owned the sport at the time, basically had no interest in the United States as a market. They could never really get a race to stick in one place in the U.S. Races were frequently disastrous. Anyone who wants to know more, please look up the 2005 American Grand Prix. And so it really isn't until... This American company, Liberty Media, buys Formula One from like a Swiss banking firm, essentially. And they say, okay, we, we see America as an untapped market. We're going to tap the market. So are there any American racers in, in Formula One right now? There is one. His name is Logan Sargent. He is unfortunately not very good. Wh who does he race for? He races for Williams Racing. It's a, one of those historic teams. But his teammate, Alex Albon, a British Thai driver, is like leagues ahead of him. So mm. it's just, it's not great. So if you uh, want to root for America, and unfortunately you only have one person and he's, he's not doing too hot this season. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about the international market. We've talked about F1 coming to America and it's, it's here now. It's in Las Vegas. Uh, with that, locals have some concerns and the strip closure has been a big deal for a lot of people. But another thing that has been noted is the price of tickets. A three-day ticket in the grandstands, which is most tickets, starts at $2,000. And they go way, way up from there. Yeah, that makes Vegas the most expensive race in all of F1 right now. More expensive than Miami and Austin and Monaco. I talked to former Governor Sisolak, who, again, isn't currently involved in the race, but was instrumental in bringing it to the state. He was on stage to announce it back in early 2022 about those prices. I was shocked at the, you know, I know it's popular sport. I know it's expensive, uh, but these prices were amazingly high. Yeah, that's a big ticket price that obviously uh, eliminates a big percentage of the local population. I think it eliminates a big percentage of the regular visitors that come to Las Vegas when you're looking at several thousand dollars for an event. Uh, but, you know, they can attract worldwide customers. I think that was part of the intrigue and the appeal of the race that it was going to attract a different level of customer players and if it does in fact attract that it's clearly going to benefit the big strip properties those folks i don't think care if the price is two thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars although vegas is not unused to high ticket prices here's brendan again you also look at what we do with other events and we have one of the highest ticket prices as it relates to hockey we have one of the highest ticket prices as it relates to to nfl and and the resale value off of that. And that speaks to the, the destination and the power that's in it and the economic ability that it has to say, hey, yeah, you're coming to Vegas, but you're also paying for an experience you know will be good. And that's not to discount any of those other destinations that F1 does or as I equate to football or hockey or anything else, 
but it's you're paying for part of the experience along the way. So back to these traffic headaches. I was hopeful that this would have been planned out more thoroughly. Uh, this was a thing that was brought up early on. I remember talking to some of the hotel properties and when they were approached that they were like, how can you possibly cut off the strip access? That's our front entrance. We don't have back entrances like a lot of other businesses do. How can you cut this off and do that? And that was a major concern. That was a major, major concern. I hope they didn't miss something that, you know, is going to be a life or death type issue in terms of emergency response vehicles. Sisolak also said he had concerns about cutting off many of the smaller businesses along the Strip and the effect that the race and construction has had on those businesses. Clearly, that was one area that was overlooked. Or we were remiss in terms of not providing them some sense of uh, ability to recoup the money, whatever it might be. There, Those businesses are impacted for months with this construction, with the repaving, with the bridges, with the traffic flows, whatever for months, and you're not going to make that back in three, four days. It, it just can't be done. Now, is it, of course, over 10 years going to help? Sure. But it's not going to, this was crippling to a lot of those small businesses, and I don't think that they were kept in mind. So with some of the strip cut off, we had Janelle walk along it and talk to tourists, and she told me about that experience. I walked a little portion of it. It's definitely more crowded because it's not split between the two sides of the strip. It's kind of sticking to one side. There was a big crowd. A lot of people were not here for the race because it's a little too early. But the consensus was that a lot of people don't know what's going on (laughs) or don't follow Formula One. There are some people that told me they couldn't believe that they still needed so much work to be done for the race. Some people couldn't believe that some of the sidewalks were completely closed to tourists. Janelle talks to one tourist from Germany named Julian Pape. Uh, Yeah, to be honest, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the Formula One. So for uh, me, it's a bit of a problem because it uh, destroyed a little bit the the view of uh, Las Vegas. The road closures for F1 over the last six months have been extensive. The strip itself was shut down or reduced to repave the roads. And then lanes on the back roads surrounding the Strip, which are key access points for thousands and thousands of hotel employees who need to get to work, have been intermittently closed, reduced, or so clogged with traffic that commutes have just skyrocketed. That's to say nothing of the transformation of the look of the Strip itself, where beyond even the trees, grandstands are now covering much of the view of the Bellagio Fountains, while barriers, fencing, and lighting rigs are now ringing the full 3.8 miles of the circuit. Here's Sisolak again on that construction. It's a, it's a nightmare for construction. I can't imagine a nightmare is going to be for actual, but two, three days prior and after that race, you know, it's going to be enormous. I remember we closed the strip for, you know, or part of the strip for uh, a movie premiere or for, uh, you know, a parade or for, you know, and that's usually two lanes for a couple hours and you need to kind of work around it and so forth. It's never been closed for this length of time and this duration that I'm aware of. But Janelle did talk to one tourist from England, Paul Downs, who was excited about the race, but wasn't actually able to stay and watch it from Vegas, but was able to see a little bit of the preparations. So we're now here in Vegas to check out the track and the paddock. Obviously, they're getting all the grandstands up ready, so they've got two more weeks, so I'm sure by then, hopefully, it should all be good to go. It looks a bit chaotic now, definitely. And I'm sure on race day, I mean, race day, anywhere you go in Formula One, Traffic is horrendous wherever you go. 
it's just the inaugural event, so the first time for Vegas, I'm sure they're going to make a real good spectacle of it. It should be good. So with all of this happening, it brings up the bigger question of how Vegas caters to tourists. Specifically, let's talk about taxes. Tourism makes up a notable percentage of tax revenue in the state coming from things like the room tax, the live entertainment tax, the gaming tax, and more. Those taxes are also tied to hospitality jobs, which employ tens of thousands of Nevada residents on the Strip alone. Here's Joey talking to Brendan. I just I, I think that Vegas does kind of always face this conundrum with with stuff like F1 or the Super Bowl or conventions or anything is that Vegas caters to tourists. It wants to bring people in. Right. But living there, you know, you still want to be able to benefit from living in the city that is this entertainment capital. And there's that local versus tourism angle of those two things kind of butting heads. It's sort of like of a lot of events we have. How many locals go down to the strip on New Year's Eve? A lot of locals fully appreciate, understand the economic engine that is the strip and everything that goes along with it. But when you get to be these major events, you don't always get to do that. You know, not everybody can afford to go to a Raiders game, which is why sometimes they go to a UNLV game so they can enjoy Allegiant and some of those other events along the way. We understand the benefits and we know, you know, it's one of the perils of living in this city of sometimes we can't always go to everything that happens here, but we get the economic benefits that also translates into what we do in our daily lives. I always think it's interesting, right? In Nevada, like our quality of life almost is subsidized by tourism, right? We don't have income tax because we can bring that money in from people coming to the state. I always remember there was the, the old phrase of don't text you, don't text me, tax the man behind the tree. But that's part, of, that's part of what we do here is, hey, those visitors will always do that. And, and we appreciate it because it's, it's the gaming tax, it's the room tax, it's the live entertainment tax, all those various things in there off of what that is that allow us so we don't have to worry about an income tax and we don't have to worry about other things to be able to fund government services. Some astute listeners may remember that local sports teams are actually exempt from the live entertainment tax, which makes up a huge portion of revenues for the state from these kinds of events. However, Formula One, because it's not a local sports team, won't be exempt. What it all means when I talk to economic analyst Jeremy Aguero for a separate story is that about $87 million in tax revenue is the expectation from this event, though those projections were made well in advance of the actual race. And while tourism subsidizes certain aspects of our economy here in the state, it doesn't necessarily mean that that money will come in, right? Ironically, every event and every effort to bring in tourism is a gamble. Here's Sislak again. It's kind of like the Super Bowl. People come that are coming to the Super Bowl. They're not all going to Allegiant Stadium. They can't fit in Allegiant Stadium. They're coming to be in Las Vegas where the event is. People are going to come to Las Vegas for the F1 race, even though they're not going to the race. I mean, if they can't afford the $2,000, $1,500 tickets, they still want to be here. I'm not confident at all that that's going to pan out. I mean, I'm hopeful that it's going to pan out, but, you know, people come and gamble. And like I say, when you've got those big gamblers at casinos, they'll tell you some people win and some people lose. But you got to understand that for a lot of people, it's kind of priced them out of the market to go to dinner and have a beer at the bar and whatnot during this race. I mean, they're not going to be able to afford some of what these prices are going to be, so that's going to leave a bad taste in some people's mouth. No one puts on a party like Las Vegas does, but I don't think any other race courses face the same challenges that we're facing on this one. People just need to understand a couple of things. One, if you're attending, plan on and getting there ahead of time. There's plenty to do. There's plenty of options out there. But if you're in and around or not, just realize, hey, you're going to be potentially a little bit inconvenienced. 
And it's it's things that we're going to adjust. We're going to learn stuff. We'll do it better as it comes back again. I think you're going to have to have an analysis after this race is done. Now, whether that's done two weeks later, a month later, two months later, I don't know. You know how long you have to wait to get the numbers come in and to see what the economic impact was to the community, to the hotels, to the properties, to the workers, listen to everybody's input, and then make adjustments accordingly as a result of that. But there's clearly going to have to be an analysis of how this is working. You have to look at that economic impact study that was done and see if it came even close, If they, or maybe it'll be conservative. I don't know. I mean, anything could happen. but. Uh, I think you're going to have to look at that and see what really happened versus what was projected to happen. And while we still don't know how the outcome for the city will be with this event, there are some benefits to having a race in Vegas from a TV viewership angle, as Brendan explained to us. Every turn is a walking billboard. And you literally have in every straightaway or every turn a picture off of Vegas in some form or fashion, whether that be the resort properties that sit on the strip to when they're going to be turning her over and around the sphere. You've got a a postcard that you can't match when it comes to advertising dollars as that race goes on. And Jacob, just to wrap up really quick here at the end, um, you know, we talked a lot about the race and everything going on around it in the city, but uh, the one thing we haven't talked about is the the, the race itself, the racers. Uh, this race is kind of decided already, right? Max Verstappen with Red Bull is projected to win, and he's pretty much going to win it all this year, regardless of if he wins this race or not, right? Yeah, well, he has already won it all. The championship is done and dusted as of several weeks ago. Uh, That is how dominant he's been. He's won 17 out of 21 races this season. So if I were a betting man, I mean, there's just no sense thinking that anyone but Max Verstappen will win this. Here is your tiny nugget of hope, though. This race could be the coldest F1 race ever because of when it's taking place, November, and what time, the middle of the night. And so if it's super cold, that might mess with tires. And one of the reasons Max Verstappen is so good, he's a tire whisperer. He knows how to care for those little guys. <laughs> and so, uh, you know what? If the tires are all over the place because it's just like so friggin' cold, maybe Max Verstappen doesn't win. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it, it you know, maybe. So, so regardless of if he has won it all or not, you know, this race will still be interesting to watch uh, you know, for, for you, at least as a fan. Yes, because I am totally locked in down the order. Uh, it's a little unlikely now. They're sort of running out of time, but Lewis Hamilton could lead. I'm fitting out Jacob here because he talks for way too long about very specific uh, F1 things. But uh, if you'd like to hear more about it, you can always email him at jacob at the But with that, thank you for listening uh, to this to this F1 piece. We're going to ch- jump over to the outro now after Jacob is done rambling. Just super competitive late on, but they were terrible earlier in the season. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank uh, former Governor Steve Sisolak, Brendan Bussman, and Janelle Calderon for being on the show today. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, along with Jacob Sleese, with additional help from Michelle Ringdells. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you 
next week. And uh, look, my favorite driver, Daniel Ricardo, he's back. Uh, his entire career arc is the variation of the uh, it's so over, we're so back meme. And we're currently at we're so back. So uh, <laughs> that's sort of sustaining me right now. <laughs>